Kia ora katoa and welcome to The Weekly Hoon. I'm Bernard Hickey for the Kaka, The Weekly Hoon, around the big events in the political economy with another tragic of the political economy, someone in the press gallery or someone who watches politics and economics, the economy, business generally. Welcome to Janae Tibshraini from interest.co.nz. Welcome into our um, luxurious padded cell here in the parliamentary <laughs> press gallery. Hey, Bernard, good to be here. Yeah, no, um, really looking forward to talking about the things that really matter, I think, interest rates and house prices. <laughs> That's what we used to say at interest.co.nz. And it's still true. In fact, you could argue it's even more true, and particularly this week, with the Reserve Bank coming out on Wednesday afternoon and surprising people. What what um, what happened that surprised people? Yeah, well, um, all eyes were on the Reserve Bank because there are these inflationary pressures building. Um, at the same time, the Reserve Bank still wants to keep monetary conditions loose because we're still, you know, COVID-19 is, is still a problem. So everyone was watching to see how the Reserve Bank would acknowledge the inflationary pressures um, also while, you know, keeping conditions loose. But what it did do was completely change tack and um, say that from... Uh, July 23, it's going to stop uh, using newly printed money to buy New Zealand government bonds, which is debt. And um, so that means when it's been doing that, the, the quantitative easing, it's been trying to put downward pressure on interest rates. It's saying that it's going to stop those bond purchases because it no longer wants to keep putting downward pressure on interest rates. It kept the official cash rate, which is probably the thing that everyone watches really closely the same. But by the Reserve Bank um, saying that it's going to halt those bond purchases, uh, people see this as it making way for an interest rate hike, a OCR hike, relatively soon. So all bank economists now think that the Reserve Bank will hike the OCR in August. They did August. August. <laughs> That's amazing because, I mean, literally six weeks ago, people were talking about May next year. Mm. So it's in you know it's zero to sixty in three seconds. Uh, yeah, you know, really br- bringing it forward to August, and uh, people saying that um, the Reserve Bank will have to put up the official cash rate, not just you know one or two times, but um, maybe up to two percent from zero point two five percent, which would push up. Mortgage rates, you know, close to 5%. Yeah, look, I um, haven't really been paying too much attention to what economists have been saying after the one OCR hike. Uh, just so, just rewind a little bit. In May, the Reserve Bank thought it would first, it would do the first OCR hike in August next year. And now economists are thinking August this year. So I just think to look at so much has changed in a short time to think about, you know, whether it would be one hike and when the next one will be is really just, you know, Finger in the air type stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, ha- I have a little um, rule of thumb about how interested people are in interest rates by how many people, how many times people stop me walking down Lambton Quay and ask me whether I should fix or float. Oh, really? Yeah. And then I say to them, this is not financial advice, but. <laughs> and, <Disclaimer>. um, <laughs> yeah. But essentially, if you believe, as the economists are saying, that interest rates are going up by. 200 basis points, so a full two percentage points from 0.25 to 2. And generally, those shorter-term fixed rates are around about two percentage points, maybe two and a half percentage points above the official cash rate. Then you'd have to say that at least the rest of the market, and certainly the wholesale markets as well, are saying that in a couple of years' time, uh, mortgage rates will be up around 4 to 5%. So... Um, 
if you believe that, then it sort of makes sense to um, think about fixing, you know, out two, three, four, five years. And for those people who uh, fixed, and there were a few, fixed for five years at 2.9% um, a few months ago, they must be feeling pretty happy with the world. But it really depends on your views on inflation and um, how hot our economy gets and whether this inflation is temporary. Tell us what we found out today in the June quarter CPI. <clears throat> yeah, so the, the June quarter uh, the inflation figures surprised everyone. Uh, bank economists and the Reserve Bank, they came in much stronger than expected at 3.3% over the year and 1.3% in the quarter. And so this is the strongest in 10 years, and the last time it was this strong was when GST was changed, and then before that um, it was just before the global financial crisis. So, But looking into those figures... Uh, it's important to look at how much of that inflation is coming from domestic things and how much is imported inflation. And actually, both were pretty strong. Um, and so there's, but there's still quite a bit of noise in these figures. So ANZ economists have pointed this out. They said that actually we've had the minimum wage go up. There are these um, oil prices are high and there are supply chain issues. This is kind of distorting whether it's actually genuine, uh, you know, heat in the economy. But the economists think that actually, underneath all the noise, there's still considerable underlying inflation. Uh, that's what they're saying. Bernard might have a different yeah. view on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see why they're you know worried about inflation coming. Remember, if you've spent the last 20 years anywhere near the establishment in New Zealand politics, but also economics, central banking, financial markets, the one underlying truth that we all believed was that Inflation is bad, it's a dragon that needs to be slayed, and whenever it pops its head out of the cave, you chop it off. And uh, you need to do that early and often. <laughs> so for a good 20 years now, whenever we've seen a glimmer of inflation coming around the corner, bang, up come the interest rate hikes. And that made sense until 2008, 2009. And after the global financial crisis, uh, the same old um, tactic was used, you know, Head round the corner, bang, interest rate hikes uh, on the way. But that's happened twice now, and inflation hasn't come. It's been a temporary thing, and the banks have effectively jumped the gun. And that's, um, that's the concern here, that because of all these logistics problems in the global economy, you know, you can't get a container for love nor money, or if it is, it's the wrong type, and you can't find a ship because they've stopped coming to New Zealand – or, you know, maybe you're in a business where you need to really get hold of staff and you're having to pay some sort of sign-on bonus or, um, you know, pay for them to come through MIQ or whatever, and your costs are going up. And it's clear from the QSBO, the Quarterly Survey of Business Opinion from the New Zealand Institute of Economic Research last week, that for the first time in a long time, businesses have been able to start making price hikes stick. Because in the past, they've, they've talked a good game and said, right, we're going to put up rates next, we're going to put up our prices next time. And then they try and fail. But this time around, they did make it stick in the June quarter. So there are some price increases going through the economy. But are they temporary or are they permanent? My view is that the global economy is still there. The factories are still there. The ships are still there. The containers are still there. The workers in China are still there. The apps are still there. We all still have smartphones. COVID obviously has disrupted an awful lot. And 
it's going to take a couple of years for all of these containers to settle down in the right place. But remember, the shipping lines are all now building new mega container ships, which will at some point start dragging down those shipping costs. And you're also going to see whether or not labour, i.e. employees, have the sorts of power that they had in the 70s and 60s in New Zealand where they could go to the boss and say, right, everyone else is getting a pay rise, I want one too. And I think that not much has changed in the global economy apart from COVID. And COVID, I don't think, has changed that power imbalance that much. Mm. And and, uh, also I think that, um, you know, 60% of the economy is in the services sector. And the appification of our economy has only really just got going in services. We've seen the deflationary effects of essentially our manufacturing and product sectors being globalised. Now we're about to see the services sector globalised. So I don't think that inflation has gone away, but I'm in the minority. Yeah, and also um, when we're looking at the banks want to see some inflation because they want to see... uh, Rates go. They want to see the OCR hike. They want to see rates go up. It's it's that's provides a more profitable environment. So there's also, you know, a few different motives here. Yeah, banks generally do better when interest rates are rising, and certainly when they're higher, and they're pretty uncomfortable, particularly when term deposit rates are are down near um, zero. Or in fact, for a lot of the banks, they're having to pay quite a bit more than zero for their term deposits, which means in effect um, there are pressure on their margin. So you're right; Mm. they will be happy when those margins start to increase, and they have been a bit lately. What I was interested in in the statement from the Reserve Bank on Wednesday was that they are keeping going the funding for lending mm-hmm. program. Yep. Now, it hasn't been heavily used by the banks, but ASB and ANZ have used it to try to um, uh, offer up um, special new build mortgage rates, floating mortgage rates for new builds. On the, in, with the uh, uh, argument that, hey, we've got this special deal from the government, let's do the right thing by the government by pumping it into new housing rather than existing housing. Yeah. housing. So just for people listening, the funding for lending program is another way that the Reserve Bank has been trying to loosen monetary policy. So it's uh, offered, it's put $28 billion on the table and said, hey banks, we will lend you up to $28 billion of freshly printed money at a very low rate. And then the idea is that if the banks can get money for cheap, they can on-lend it for cheap and uh, you know suppress interest rates, which has been up until now what they've been trying to do. But the Reserve Bank made this commitment and it said that it would keep that program there until the end of next year. So I suppose the the weird thing now is that on the one hand it's still printing money and lending it to banks for cheap, on the other hand it's getting ready to hike the OCR. But when the central bank goes in and makes a commitment like that, uh, it's, a, it's a commercial commitment, then maybe it thinks it can't just pull that away um, I don't know if that's the thinking. Yeah, I mean, I think they could have pulled it away um, without too much commercial damage. The banks have been relatively careful and wary of using it because you're getting a great deal from the government for a private enterprise. And so ASB in particular, yeah, Yeah. um, ASB and ANZ in particular were very careful to, to cordon that money off to say, you know, we're helping with the national task of building new houses. And I'd be interested to see 
how much lending they're actually doing for new houses, particularly off the plan, medium density stuff. Mm. And um, we'll see whether or not that uh, that goes through. Uh, I, I think it will be interesting to see how much the banks pivot towards new housing lending, if they do at all. Mm. It's quite a good PR exercise as well because the um, banks have – come under a lot of heat in the past year because they've played a, an instrumental role in contributing to house prices going up. You know, they've lent all this money. Um, but, of course, banks would say if people come to us and ask to borrow and we say no, that'll upset everyone as well. But it makes sense that they'd come out saying, hey, guys, just so that you know, this freshly printed money that we're borrowing from the Reserve Bank, we're using it for something good. Look at us. We'll send out a press release. Look out. Look, we are doing something good. We're doing using it for new builds. So there, there is that sort of image thing as well. And... If people remember, at the end of last year, there was quite a lot of um, politicians got quite involved and commented on this funding for lending program and said, actually suggested that the Reserve Bank put conditions on it and say banks could only borrow it if they use it for productive things, possibly new builds or businesses or so on. And the Reserve Bank said, no, no, if we put too many conditions on this, people aren't going to use it, so we need to keep it simple. Um, so there has been some pressure, I guess, on banks, which yes, yeah. and I suspect there's been some eyebrow lifting, you know, and some some tapping of the nose and various other <laughs> suggestions, and it's pretty clear that ASB and ANZ are going to do that for new lending. The interesting test will be whether they actually do the new lending and whether that matches up with the amount that they've drawn down, which at the moment is relatively small at only two or three billion dollars. Mm. Um, there is actually capacity with funding for lending to do. Twenty, thirty billion dollars, which yeah. but they haven't done that, um, which is, which is great. The other thing I, I was keen to sort of jump on, and stuff is happening in the rest of the world around inflation and interest rates, which I I worry a bit that New Zealand interest rate watchers and um, inflation watchers are not paying enough attention to. You remember we had that those dramas back in March when the whole world seemed to be talking about inflation, inflation. We need to put up interest rates now. And there has been inflation in the states. So they I mean, our CPI inflation rate just announced today, Friday, was um, up at the three and a half percent, 3.3% mark. But um, America's over five percent, and some of that's quite strong uh, um, core inflation growth as well. But the U.S. Federal Reserve is still printing $120 billion a month and has keep its interest rate at zero and is promising to keep doing that. So this week, uh, Jerome Powell, the U.S. Federal Reserve chairman, has come out and said, hold your horses, guys. Um, I think this is temporary. You need to just uh, hold your fire, keep, keep your heads down, and it'll pass. And so far, financial markets now have said, okay, we trust the Fed, and also it's painful to fight the Fed because they've got this amazing money printing machine that we don't have. And so actually the US 10-year government bond yield is actually down quite a lot from March. So we're in a frenzy, I suppose you could call it, or certainly very interested in clamping down on inflation, putting up interest rates. But we're going to be a couple of years ahead of the rest of the world, particularly when it comes to um you know, the currency, because obviously if our interest rates go up and interest rates stay flat in Australia and the United States and in Europe, as it looks like they will, then our currency becomes more attractive, mm. which is sort of a pity for all those exporters who've done an amazing job really through the last two years to keep shifting stuff overseas and selling it for record high prices to be hammered by 
the New Zealand dollar. Mm. But um, certainly there's a few first home buyers out there and be sort of happy this has started to to come through. Yeah, and also I just think that the big question that I've been thinking about in recent weeks is – how much of an effect will the first interest rate hike in seven years, what would that effect be? Would it, would it actually be bigger than the interest rate cuts have been or or would it be smaller? And I talked to a few people about this and they thought the Reserve Bank's going to get serious bang for its buck and that actually because um, around 80% of mortgages are up for renewal within the next year. So that's a lot of people who are going to feel those interest rate hikes. People haven't been fixing at longer durations. They've been doing it at, at <laughs> making the most of those good rates at, at shorter durations. So so the bang's going to be big. or um, Yeah, the effect is going to be large. And also, when you increase interest rates after a time where a whole bunch of debt has been taken out, um, you know, the effect of that rate is now on a larger pool of debt than, than it was before. It's interesting, though, when you look at uh, how much people are paying to service that debt, the interest rates and the capital repayments, the Reserve Bank figures show that now, because interest rates are so low, homeowners, on average, are paying 6% of their disposable income in interest and capital costs. That's less than half what it was in 2007 8 when interest rates were over 10%. So, yes, we have taken on a lot more debt, but of course, the fall in interest rates from 10% to 2% has meant that there's a lot of leeway there for people to pay a bit more extra. Apart from anything else, they're not spending $10 billion a year overseas. Yeah. So, they can, maybe they can pay a bit more in interest. I think you're right, mm. though, there is going to be an impact at the margin because. Every, you know, let's say the official cash rate does go from 0.25 to 2, let's say, and the best fixed rates go from 2% to 4.5%, let's say. That is a doubling of interest costs. And when you're stretching it to the limit, uh, then that can make quite an impact. Although, you've got to remember that the banks are also, for every loan they've been doing for the last couple of years when interest rates were nearly zero, have been assuming that whoever borrows has to be able to handle a 6% or higher mortgage rate. So it's not like, you know, I'm doing as much as I can and I've spent as much as I can with 2%. I'm only allowed to go to 6% in the eyes of the, the bank. So that means that those people who have borrowed in the last couple of years, they will have probably really struggled to get the deposit but servicing the loan yeah. shouldn't be a problem. That's, that's a good point. Um, I think the interesting thing to watch, though, would be the psychology of an interest rate hike and the psyche uh, that, that goes with it and whether people will think, whoa, total change of tack here, interest rates are going up, inflation is is going to be rampant and, and sort of batten the hatches and stop borrowing and investing and, and kind of overreact or, or whether, and, and you know, obviously that has an effect on the economy as a whole, or whether they'll say, okay, actually, this COVID crisis has taught us that the Reserve Bank and the government will do everything to protect wealth and asset owners. So may as well keep going, keep borrowing, like rates are still actually relatively cheap. Yes, there are some hikes, but they're probably going to remain lower for longer and actually the the growth will, will still be quite strong. So there's a couple of schools of thought. And I mean, this is what I find interesting that in economics, it's not always rational at all. It's um, it's, it's psychological. 
Yes, and um, they talk about the um, the madness of crowds mm. and uh, and the way that people react to these sorts of things. And you're right, there is a whole generation now of home buyers and mortgage payers who have never seen a 10% mortgage rate, uh, who weren't around in 2008, 2009. Uh, I can't imagine there's been that many people who've bought in the last four or five <laughs> years, but um, they will have been used to falling interest rates or very low interest rates. The question is how high they go and how quickly. My view is that um, the last two times we've tried to do it, we, we put on about 50 basis points at most, 100 basis points, and then we had to come back down. And what we're seeing right now in the rest of the world is that the Delta variant is really slowing down economic growth uh, from expectations in America and Europe. Uh, China also is slowing down. We got figures this week showing that GDP growth um, is, was slower than some people were expecting. And actually, the um, the Chinese central bank um, changed its reserve r- ratio requirement on Friday afternoon, which would actually be seen as a slight loosening of policy in China. So I think there is a risk here that New Zealand jumps, we pull the trigger too quick, and then next year sometime, everyone goes, ah, well, you know how I said there was going to be inflation. It actually isn't there yet. Mm. We'll see. Is it temporary or not? That's the um, $66 trillion question, I suspect, (laughs) in the global economy. Um, Mind you, house prices are still... um, doing extraordinary things, despite what the government has said and done over the last six months. We got figures for June from the Real Estate Institute, which is the the sort of, uh, I wouldn't say at the gold standard, but certainly it involves actual sales prices and actual volumes. Um, what did we find out from that? Yeah, so house price growth is slowing, slowing right down. Um, and this, though, is coinciding with the winter season and normally at this time of the year, house price price growth slows anyway. So uh, for me, I'm looking at these figures and thinking, okay, prices are still super high, but they're still growing, but they're growing less. But we'd expect them to grow less because it's winter. But the government's um, made all these regulatory tax changes and also the Reserve Bank has put loan-to-value ratio restrictions back on and interest rates look like they're going up. But to me, it's too soon to make any calls. I'm just sitting tight, I think, for a little bit longer. Um, sorry, this is boring, isn't it? <laughs> no, no. Boring. I mean, it's not a hot take. S- sometimes, <laughs> sometimes sitting tight is the right thing to do. Um, I suspect a lot of people don't have a choice about whether they can buy or not. Oh, s- sitting tight on my perspective. Oh, yes, not, yes. N- yeah, yeah. <laughs> not on buying or selling. <laughs> no need to discuss that no, on no. the podcast. Uh, um, and uh, I think it's an interesting one that, uh, yes, there has been some actions, but the slowdown has been slower than a lot of people expected. So we've gone from 20 30% annual inflation down to just over 10%. And uh, it's worth looking back on the last year. I mean, remember we had COVID. But when you look back on the um, average price increase across the country, it was 30%, the highest we've ever seen. And in some cities, and wait for this, you'll be shocked, some cities, it's absolutely Extraordinary, just shockingly high. Palmerston North, get ready for this, Palmerston North. Your house price index, according to the Real Estate Institute, rose 61% in the year to the end of June. Wellington, know it and love slash hate it. House prices up 46% in a year. 
This is the sort of thing that just sh- shocks people and changes the way they think about house prices for a generation. And for those people who were thinking a year ago, gee, uh, now would be a dangerous time to get into the housing market. I've been told house prices are about to fall. And uh, also, I just can't imagine them being any higher than they are now. And then bang, they're up one, up 46% in the next 12 months. You must be in comp- people who have done that and have decided to hold on or thought, you know, let's sell now, must be just absolutely gobsmacked. And this is the problem when you allow a quick gap higher in prices like that is you completely change expectations. Mm. And, and it's, it's a moral hazard. Yeah, exactly. So you asked that great question at the end of last year to the Prime Minister, how come the housing market's prices never seem to go down? Yet um, when people invest in stocks, it's not so shocking when prices go down. And the Prime Minister's answer was, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> and what, what she was essentially saying, uh, the interpretation I took and some others took was um, – she didn't want house prices to fall. In fact, she's said that in the last um, electoral campaign. And she saw her job as to make sure that the main asset that most New Zealanders have, and it's still about 60% own property, and it's certainly more than 60% who vote who own property, is to protect that main asset. So we have a sort of a one-way market here. It's a one-way bet, and that's the problem. Yeah, and but that is the scary thing, that it has been a one-way bet for so long. So if you're investing in property, you're thinking it has been a one-way bet. Uh, Jacinda Ardern basically underwrote property as an investment with that comment. The Reserve Bank is wary that um, if property, if there's a major problem in the property market that affects the, the health of our of our banks because they're all hugely mostly exposed to, to property. So you, you think, okay, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be sweet. But what if things change and then you're not fine? So it's still... Um, this is why people panic in the end worrying. when they can see that they missed out last time. They don't want to miss out next time. Mm. And particularly when all the grown-ups, the politicians and the central bankers and the economists are saying this is what's going to happen, and it does completely the opposite. That's what freaks people out, I think. Um, on the upside, so we'll just try to, um, you know, not send everyone into a spiral of depression and doom over this. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> building consent, Especially now um, that they can't go to Australia. <laughs> yeah. Um, building consent issuance is up quite a bit, and... Um, so supply should be coming on, and a lot of these consents are being issued for townhouses, which is good, and we've got the um, policy statement on urban development, which should start kicking in and allowing for more densification in cities. I mean, so supply is coming on, and a lot of the demand measures are sort of yet to really bite, so the demand side things like the tax changes are, are yet to um, you know, fully have their effect. Yeah, we're not quite clear exactly where the the lines will be drawn in this debate. For example, there's lots of uncertainty around, let's say you live in a house and then you move out of it and you put a a, a tenant in there. Is that your family home? Does that mean that you have to uh, pay, um, you're unable to claim the interest costs on that? Or let's say, for example, you've got a home and income. You're in a house and you rent out the basement flat. Does that mean that the interest you pay on your house can also be um, uh, declared against um, tax? I think if you have a border, it's okay. But yeah, these are the issues, mm-hmm. right? And like, what what exactly is a new build? This is the thing with interest deductibility rules. This is what the big discussion is. Is it how, how long is your place a new build for? So if I move into buy a house and it's um, a new build and I want to rent it out, is it a new build for the first 
10 years, uh, regardless of whether I, I keep it or sell it or the first 20 years? Or is it just a new build for the time that I own it? If I sell it to someone else in two years, is it then no longer a new build? This is the stuff being worked out. And also, what are the exemptions going to be? Um, the property council is saying there should be um, exemptions for... Uh, you know, community housing providers that rent out properties and things like that. And where do you draw those lines? It's yes, it's a tough time for David Parker. Through. He's going to be um, busy with his advisors from the IRD um, trying to uh, draw those lines. Now, just finally, um, the other big event in the political economy this week is the uh, announcement from the government about three waters reforms. We had the local government um, uh, New Zealand conference in Blenheim this week where not only did the local government minister, Nanaya Mahuta, go, but the prime minister and the deputy prime minister all turned up on the, on the day to plead as Platt's too strong a word on it, but to strongly argue that uh, councils agree to the government's three waters reforms, which is to combine the water authorities, the assets and the liabilities of those uh, water authorities down from 67 which is how many councils there are, down to four. And to do that, the government is giving some compensation. And we heard this week that uh, the government is going to um, stump up even more comp compensation. They started out with 790 million or so last year. They put on another 270 million in the budget. <laughs> and now, Janae, um, how, how big has the carrot got? Well, yeah, it's a pretty big carrot at... $2.5 billion uh, for councils and the government also rolled in saying, look, you, you won't be worse off is how they um, describe that as well. So uh, what they've done for $2 billion of, of that funding is divvied up across councils and, and um, according to need and population size and so on and, and, and say, here's the proposal, this is how much each council would get and actually Auckland Council would get over a quarter of that $2 billion, and Auckland Council's the one that's, um, you know, it's opposed to this amalgamation. Um, and then the other $500 million, it's set aside to say this is like the no worse off fund. It's all a little bit vague exactly how this, uh, <laughs> what are the conditions around this money and, and so on. But it's a pretty big carrot. Um, Although, the councils sound pretty cynical still. Some that's right. The rabbits are not biting. No. Uh, Phil no. Goff uh, came out yesterday and said, nah, nah, we don't like this. I mean, we did all the hard work building water care. We set up volumetric charging. That was painful. We've um, invested in our infrastructure, and now we're essentially being punished for the sins of other councils because we're being lumped with um, those laggards up north who've got these big long pipes and all sorts of sort of insurance tanks all over the place and um, I'm going to have to subsidise the all of those holiday home owners in uh, Mungafai and various other places. Yeah. And also, um, Phil Goff says, hey, we're contributing 92% of the assets to the, the Northern uh, Water Authority uh, and we're only getting 40% of the representation. So Phil Goff is saying, hey, we need to carve out Auckland as a special case. The rest of the country... Depends where you are. Some see that they're better off um, flicking this on to the government because they don't have to go through the hard task of imposing volumetric charging. That's a really hot, hot political potato. Uh, Wellington, Dunedin, Christchurch have yet to do what Auckland did, which is to impose uh, water charging, which really is the only way you 
solve some of these problems by uh, so-called demand management rather than just building pipes forever you say to people just fix that hole first <laughs> before we build a new pipe and it, it works very well it's a- yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty tough debate, though, um, really. And, and one of the key arguments, I think, that makes sense for amalgamation and is actually to depoliticise water infrastructure, to put it in the hands of um, people who aren't elected um, so they don't need to try to um, convince their constituents that it's really good to have you know, the books in the black, for example, or have to go and say, we're going to have to put up rates. Um, so, But you, please vote for us. Vote for us. We're going to put up your rates because we need to fix our water. So removing that, and actually maybe this could be a good thing for councils to just remove all that hassle, all that cost, have a body that's not voted and deal with it. Let them issue lots of debt. Let, them, let their books look supposedly bad. Um, seems like a pretty good argument. Yeah, and some of those councils agree with that. And I suspect there's a fair amount of you know, positioning before the final negotiation that goes on. Remember, the government has the big stick in its back pocket. It could come yeah. out and say, you know what, if you're gonna, not going to do it voluntarily, I'm going to force you because I've got a majority in parliament and I can just pass some legislation. So you better do what I want. Yes. And the danger for some of the councils is if they say no right up to the last minute, the government says, yeah, well, we're only giving the compensation to the people who said yes. So... Tough bickies. Yes. Well, that's the thing, because they're going to have to meet these tougher standards anyway. So is it in the interest to join up with each other, meet the standards or not? And, um, yeah, well, I mean, just a, an issue on the ground, I suppose, as well, which you have some empathy for, is all these little councils have experts in water and they know that their specific uh, regions water issues really well, and a bunch of them probably thought they've, you know, worked for years and years and done such a done a good job and and um, and now you've got some government agency swooping in from Wellington doesn't understand the specific needs of the region and th- they might lose their job or you know yeah sure yeah. they can transfer to the centralized um, body but th- their careers now up in the air so you can su- you can see why on a human level there's definitely some angst over it yeah well those people in Gisborne and Napier and Tauranga are thinking oh no I'm gonna have to live in Wellington <laughs> which fair, is fair, fair enough fair enough yeah. <laughs> blowing a gale out there oh, it's just <laughs> Oh, and by the way, um, one of the most interesting things that I um, saw in today's CPI inflation numbers, that of course the biggest contributor to the growth of 3.3% in the year was um, uh, housing costs. So not just new housing costs, but also the cost of rent. So when you look at the contribution of each particular bit of inflation to the equation, housing and household utilities group produced a third of the increase in the inflation. And it was home ownership, i.e. the purchase of new housing, that did 20%, and um, uh, actual rentals, you know, about 10%. So when you look at it, housing is just everywhere the big issue in the economy. Yeah, so just to um, break those figures down a little bit, the cost of building a new house um, rose 7.4% in the year, um, and rents rose 2.9% in the year. Which is not great, but is not awful actually. Um, but rent, but the, the regional differences. So rent in Wellington went up one point three percent in the quarter, and that was quite a bit above some of the other cities. So um, it's tough to be in Wellington right now with the with the weather and the rents and the house prices. Bennett, I think today is the day that no one <laughs> in the country is going to feel sorry for Wellingtonians. <laughs> Ah, yes. Um, on that note, uh, we shall sign off now on uh, The Hoon, a 
roundup of the week's events in the political economy. Janae Tipshrani from interest.co.nz, thank you very much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. Thanks Cheers. for listening, everyone. Cheers. Kakite <laughs> ano.